please stand for the reading of God's word. Romans 12, one through eight. Therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. All right. Well, thanks be to God for the beauty and the power of his word. Man, I love scripture readings. We don't, if you, if you, just your first time or you've, uh, you know, just been with us recently, we don't um, have a scripture reader every week, um, mainly because we don't want you to get used to it. And it becomes this kind of liturgical thing, like this is what we do, but it feels powerful. And like, there's a reverence to opening up, opening up the word of God and just having it read over us. I mean, it's, it's right there. We've already received the benefit of hearing Romans 12. And, I, and we were talking about that just after the, the first gathering this morning, um, just what a potent passage this is. Coming on the heels of 11 chapters of the gospel, like I, you know, I think I said this last week, it's like the apostle Paul wanted to make sure we weren't gonna drop the drive-by gospel of, you know, Jesus, you know, you know, death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus died to save me and I get to go to heaven now because I believe in him. But 11 chapters of weight the Apostle Paul has given us and then this is the response. And I love Romans 12. It just, I, I don't know about you, maybe you were at youth camp uh, you know, a hundred times like I was. And this was like the, the guy, you know, the guy would come in, they brought him in, he's gonna get everybody saved and he's coming in. He's trying to make sure everybody renews and transforms their life away from the naughtiness, right? And we're gonna hear Romans one and two, you know, be transformed, you better be holy, you better be righteous, you better be good. And at 14, you're thinking, whatever's in here, I probably need to flush that. It's probably a good idea. These guys over here are thinking that. They're like, yeah, I just saw something on my phone. I got to flush it right now. Um, you need to re renew your mind. And you would hear this message, but it really, it doesn't work unless you understand the therefore that's at the very beginning because the apostle Paul is saying there's a bunch that's been said. And I was thinking about this idea of sacrifice and this idea of being a living sacrifice and how counterintuitive that is to who we are as human beings. And I, for those of you that have, how many people live here at the beach that are down here? Quite a few of you. And then, yeah, some of you that are on San Pablo are still raising your hand. I would say, put them down. I'm kidding. I love you. I love you. Um, but we, you, this is like swell season. Like if you, if you live down here, you know there's a lot of surfers in the water, hurricanes. We don't call them hurricanes. We just say there's swell in the water. And we're just hoping, we're praying they don't hit us, but come just really close enough to make amazing waves. And we all get on surf reports and we're on texting streams with Jack Wire to make sure that we get all the proper information so that we can lie to our boss and get two 
two and a half hours off of work so we can catch this well perfectly. Thank you, Jack Wire. Um, and so I was on the reports the other day looking at them. This is, I, I found this picture on the Void Surf Report and I actually talked to the guy, Mikey Sasser, who took the picture. Look at that right there. Now this is a pretty big swell in the water. So if you're thinking that's two dolphins, you must not live at the beach because that is the dorsal fin and the tail fin of one singular shark. Um, and if you know anything about a dorsal fin, it's dead in the middle of the shark. So you can see the extension of where the rest of that shark's body is. Now, based on the scale, I'm, I'm looking at Lindsay Wire. You know how big that shark is based on the swell that was in the water this past week. That, that bad boy, I might've lied to the first service because they looked a little more squeamish than you and said eight feet. That's probably over 10 feet, uh, which they've caught over 10 feet sharks at there at the pier. That's right here out in front, by the way, where we do the sunrise service. Now, at this point, while you're looking at this, immediately what happens naturally and in our, just our nature is risk management, right? In terms of how we navigate the ocean. We live here at the beach and maybe we are like Ernest Becker. We use all the strategies we can to deny death because those things are out there. But there's the, the subset or the group of people that are rational human beings that think, I'm really never gonna go in over my shins because I, 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 don't, I can't see what's down there, but I know what's down there. Derek showed me on a screen and I'm never going in the ocean again. It's because we love ourselves and we self-preserve. This is not something that's new. Physiologically, biologically, psychologically, and spiritually, because of our brokenness, we are self-preservationists. We are only, according to Ernest Becker, who wrote The Denial of Death, we are the only species on planet Earth that contemplates our own death. We're the only one that thinks about our own mortality. And we employ strategies to either deny death or self-preserve. We do it in everything that we do. Psychologists like Freud and his predecessor Adler, they said we self-preserve in everything we do, even subconsciously. When we think we're giving ourselves away and sacrificing, we're doing it for some sort of return. Maslow, who was a famous psychologist, historically um, gave a lot of the principles that we know today in psychology. He even said, even when your need, your basic needs are met, when food, shelter, and water are met, what does he say? We continue to self-preserve what? Our self-worth, the person that we are. We try to get approval. We, we are trying to self-actualize. We're trying to leave our mark to create worthiness for ourselves because we don't wanna die an emotional death by feeling less than the people that are around us. Now, what's amazing about these thought processes that all these smart people have come up with over the years is it's been in scripture since the very beginning of time. Like God has been breathing the, the, the problem of sin. And, and certainly the apostle Paul since Romans chapter one has been telling us we have a serious sin problem. And it's that we are constantly trying to save ourselves and live for ourselves, whether it's protecting ourselves, which is not necessarily sinful from, you know, the creepy things in the ocean that might nibble at our heels, make us bleed out in the ocean to the things that we do in our lives to make us smarter, more beautiful, more successful so that we can measure up to the people that are around us or even exceed the people that are around us so that we can preserve our self-worth. But we are people that try to save ourselves. We try to do things on our own. And the Apostle Paul has done this amazing thing here in his display of the gospel in Romans 1 through 12 or 1 through 11. He has given us the beauty of God's, God's worthiness, but also that he is infinitely wise and infinitely loving. And he's taken 11 chapters to do it. 
And then in the 11th chapter, he even says, I've only scratched the surface. We should probably worship now because we, we, we have, we, until we see Jesus face to face, we won't fully know just how amazing he is or just how much he actually loves us. Let's worship. That's what he, that's what he does. But he's done this for the purpose of leading us to this place that we're gonna talk about today, which is there's a miracle that can happen. Despite, you know, besides the idea of going from death to life, like we, we talk about that, this idea of what does it mean to go from death to life? Well, the apostle Paul is leading us now to what it looks like, not just to be in eternity in heaven with Jesus, which is going to be amazing. In that moment, we're going to realize it, there was a lot more that had to be done to rescue us. And he's way more amazing than we ever thought in our own mind, our, our, the, the futileness of our own brain. But he's saying here on planet earth, not only that, in the futileness, in the, in the places we are here on planet earth, we can experience Jesus now. We can experience God's salvation in everyday life, every minute, in every hour. Because I don't know about you, but I still self-preserve. I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I drift back into the slavery of trying to preserve my life at all costs. I, I, I have, we have physical soft tissue that we were real easy to kill. I mean, as beautiful and wonderful as we are, we're easy to kill and we protect ourselves. But even emotionally, we, we are people that don't wanna be vulnerable and we don't, we don't put anything out there and we try to bolster ourselves up. We try to put our safety suits on so that we can survive out into the world. And even as believers, I think we drift back into that. And we need, we need a miracle to change that. And what the apostle Paul is saying is there's a, a miracle here. You know, when I previously read, read Romans uh, chapter 12, verses one through eight, I would think this is what I'm supposed to do. But the apostle Paul is saying, no, this is the miracle of the gospel. This is how powerful the gospel is. The, the, the gospel can take somebody that, preserve, that, that in their sin and in their human nature will do everything they can to self-preserve and save themselves. And the gospel can turn that on its head and make somebody that was selfish be sacrificial. Make somebody want, not, not, obligatory giving, giving away of their life, they're going to want to give away their life. And so today we're gonna to look at these three miracles of mercy when it comes to sacrifice. Three things that, that, not, that, that God's not asking us to do, but the, thing, the things that we get to do, the things that God's inviting us into. So as we look at these three, if you got your Bible, turn with you to Romans chapter 12, starting in verse one. The first miracle of mercy is self sacrifice, self-sacrifice, this idea of taking your hands off of your own life and handing your life to Jesus, taking your hands off your own life and handing your life to Jesus. So starting in verse one, it says, therefore, obviously I've made it abundantly clear that 12, you, you can't have 12 without the other 11 chapters without the gravity and the explosive mercy and grace that the apostle Paul has put on display. He's talked about how broken you are, how none are righteous and all are selfish and amazing grace has come in, transformed you from the inside out, the atom bomb of grace. Therefore, I urge you brothers and sisters in view of what God's mercy, because we didn't deserve any of the mercy that he's given us, but he gave it to us. In view of God's mercy, I urge you to do this, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Like we talked about last week, if you weren't here, we, we talked about worship. 
because it was the chapter in 11 where the apostle Paul really leads us into that place. But it's not just worship with singing because worship is what? It's what I, what, it's what I value. It's me leaning towards what I value. Worship is my response to what matters most to me. He said, giving your life away. He says, I'm not, I'm not telling you to do it from an obligatory standpoint. This is worship. You're going to be able to spend your life on actually what matters most. You're going to be able to lean towards praise and worship and sacrifice what matters most to you. And he goes on in two, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. What's the pattern of this world? We've just talked about it already. Self-salvation, I will save myself. I will make myself look good enough. I will make myself look smart enough. I will do the things to make sure that my life is protected in a way that I can survive here on planet earth with my ego intact, with all of my life intact. He says, don't, don't conform to the selfish pattern of collecting things, bolstering things, hoarding things in life, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's talking about this transition, this miracle of self-sacrifice that will renew your mind. What is this thing he talks of? Then you will be able to test, listen to this, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. I don't know how many of you, especially young people, I, I just, what, what's God's will for my life? I mean, I've heard that so many times as a pastor. I can't, pastor, can we meet up? I just, I'm trying to figure out God's will for my life. Am I supposed to go to this college or this college and this place or the, you know, trying to figure out where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do in life? Am I supposed to go into ministry? Am I supposed to go into the mission field? Am I supposed to be a businessman? What am I supposed to do? What's God's will? We're getting ready to find out. This is amazing. What's God's will? His good and pleasing and perfect will. Man, I want to know something about that. So I want to, I want to, as we dig into point number one, these three miracles of mercy, the first one's self-sacrifice, but there's a couple of words in here we got to get our heart around just for emphasis. He says, I urge you, this word urge, I just want to say, this is not a command. It's specifically placed. All commentators say the word urge is put in there. So you understand this isn't about what you have to do. This is about what you get to do. He's saying in light of, in view of, this is a natural reaction to. He says, what would you do? You would offer. The word offer means to will willingly give. In the Koine Greek, willingly give. Not begrudgingly, not, oh goodness, I've got, a, I've got a servant children's ministry. They're starting it back up again. You know, it's not that. It's willingly. It's I get to. I've been invited into something to give my life away to. So urge and offer. So what does it look like? What does self-sacrifice look like? It's this idea of taking your hands off of yourself, right? I'm going to sacrifice myself. So what would that look like? And for us, I think immediately we start, we think ministry, like, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to, you know, go, am I going to be a missionary for the next 15 years? Am I going to become a pastor like Derek? Am I going to, you know, how am I going to give my life away? What, what does it look like? Is it taking everything that's in my bank account and shifting it over here and, you know, going from 10%, uh, you know, of my tithe that we're going to do a 20, we're going to do a 25. That doesn't, but that's not everything. How do I do everything? I mean, we're trying to figure that out. Well, the idea that the apostle Paul wants to, because it's this idea of sacrifice is something that's in the heart. It's interesting, a, a, a theologian, Dr. Um, John Gershner, um, he's now, he's since passed away, but he's taught some pretty heavy duty people. R.C. Sproul, uh, he was the pro professor for R.C. Sproul. Um, he told a, he was preaching to some young seminary students and telling this story because they, he was exegeting this passage and talking about what, what is full or uh, what does self-sacrifice look like? And he talks about this woman in, in the 1930s 
she, was at, she was 16 years old. She went to a Christian conference. I didn't even know they had Christian conferences in the 30s. Uh, Chris Tomlin was there apparently. Um, but they, they, she was at this conference and amazingly, she just, the, the spirit of God came on her and she says, I'm giving my whole life to missions, to foreign missions. I wanna go to Asia, like 16 years old. I mean, that is crazy. These guys are going, what? I don't even know. No, some of these guys are super passionate about the mission field. I mean, some of them came back from Costa Rica last year, absolutely fired up. But she says, I'm gonna give my life to missions. And she goes and talks to her family, talks to her friends and said, I'm giving my life away. Started signing up, for, met with all the missions organizations, MTW existed back then and went and talked to them and said, I'm doing this, I'm signing up for this. I'm gonna do all the training. They said, here's all the things that you have to do. But in that list was, you gotta be married. Like they didn't send people back then to Asia as a missionary without being married. Super dangerous. They're like, we put people in pairs, husband and wife, we send you that way. It's still not, it's still not, not, not safe, but it's, it's just better. That's the way we're gonna support you. So she, she comes to God after signing up for all of this stuff, signing up for three to four years of missionary school. This is, I mean, she really was doing it right. And a, uh, like a, 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 almost like a graduate school, missionary grad school at the end of that. And so she's giving everything away. She's, she knows she's making that sacrifice. She's saying, I've taken my hands off my life. I've told my parents, this is what I'm doing. I've told my family, this is what I'm doing. I'm leaving all of this behind. I've signed up for all the stuff. I'm, I'm selling everything that I own and I'm giving my life into missions. And she's praying to God, saying all these things and saying, God, I've given all of this stuff. I've given my life. Now, I just need one thing from you, a husband. I need a husband. So she enters into school three to four years of missionary school. The end of that, no, no boyfriend, no husband, no, no prospects. And then eight, nine months of missionary grad school. At the end of that, no boyfriend, no husband, no prospects. And on her graduation night, she went home after graduation and she got before God and you, you're thinking she cried. No, she was angry. She was mad. Like I've, I've given my life away. I've given everything in my life away to you, God. Why would you do this? You had one job to give me a husband so I could serve you. And she tells the story and says, the spirit of God just came over me and God spoke to me, not audibly, but I immediately began to sense God speaking to me in revealing the truth of what was in my heart. And the truth of what was in my heart is that I had this romantic dream of how I was gonna build my value and worth through being a missionary. And I had this idea, I'm gonna do this. This is what will make me worthy. I will give all my stuff away. That will, that will make me worthy. I will give all the, this it, to my life. I will tell all of these people, this is what I'm going to do. I will have a valiant life. I will have a courageous life. I will have a sacrificial life and it will be the banner that will carry me. And God, you need to give me this particular thing. I know what I need. I need a husband so that I can execute your plan for my life. And she realized in that moment that that was her dream for her life. And she was holding on to it with clenched fists and saying, I'm keeping this. You've got to come through on this. And she said that night, graduation night, I finally, truly opened my hands and said, all I have, even my dreams are yours. Even my dreams. 
Now we're getting down to the root of what's possible, the miracle of self-sacrifice. Because that's, God's not coming. God doesn't need anything from us. I just want us to, to, to make that clear. Like God's inviting us into something, but God can move and do anything that he wants to do. And it's interesting when, you know, I've talked to a lot of young people that were headed off into the mission field or just taking a, a year, you know, or a, a six week mission trip or a two week mission trip and saying, I want to go, I want to go somewhere. I want to do something. You know, that, this is what I want to do. I want to go to Africa. And I'm like, dude, go to Africa. That's amazing. You should go to Africa and do that. You know, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to do that. I got, I'm raising like $3,000 or $6,000. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go for two weeks or six weeks. And we're going to, we're going to go to Africa. I'm like, that's amazing. You should go to Africa. That's you should, everyone should do that. It'll change your life. Go to Africa. But then the conversation turns like, we're gonna do this, I'm on this mission team, we're gonna change the, the city, and then we're gonna change the, this area, we're gonna build orphanage, which is amazing. That's, and you should, that's amazing that God's called you to do that, to go build orphanages, and we're gonna do this, the kingdom's gonna come, we're gonna, we're gonna change the world, it's gonna be amazing. And you know what that is amazing? That is powerful. But, but number one, you're not gonna do anything. God's gonna do something amazing. And probably in those two weeks, Guess what's gonna happen more than you pouring out to that community? And you might share Jesus with people, might pray for people, but guess what's gonna happen? In your, your self-sacrifice, guess what's gonna happen? You're gonna receive way more than you give because your mind is gonna be blown. You're gonna go to Africa and you're gonna come home and you will never be the same. You will never read the Bible the same. You will never spend your money the same. You will, you'll never come to church the same. You will never look at your country the same. When you've seen abject poverty, when you've been in the places that we should pour out our lives, guess who's going to receive in that place? You went over there and, and you were like, I'm going here to change life. You're gonna stack a few cinder blocks on a wall and paint a donkey barn. I mean, you, just be honest, you know? And the missionaries that are already over there that have done faithful service are gonna to tote you around and you're gonna be scared for your life because you're in Africa and you're gonna be wondering, where can I get a cheeseburger? And, and ultimately, you might end up back there and give faithful service. But in those moments when you go, and I say everybody should take a short-term mission trip, not because you're gonna change everything. Certainly something's gonna happen while you're there and God's gonna use you. But man, you in that sacrifice, in the people's sacrifice that send you, guess what? In your self-sacrifice, your mind is renewed. You are transformed. It's a miracle of mercy. God extends mercy as we give. We think we're giving something away to him. And even in our self-sacrifice, he's changing us. He's transforming us. He's conforming us away from the pattern of this world, which is to be selfish, to people that realize this is the best thing ever. We were created to give our lives away to him. That's what I was created for. That's where joy comes from. Test it out. Take a mission trip. Go to Africa. Go to Guatemala, go to Costa Rica. I say, do it because your mind will be renewed. Your mind will be blown. You'll never look at things through the same lens. The second thing that we have here is humble sacrifice. Humble sacrifice. That's what you see in this passage. I love that he equates and starts to connect. What you'll see here is he takes humility and he attaches it to the workings out of your gifts, the things that you're good at in the church. I used to kind of separate this passage, like here's the transforming part, here's the I should be a humble person part, and here is how my gifts are kind of connected into using them in the church. But it's really all one thing that the Apostle Paul's doing here. He's like the working out of your gifts, the, the miracle will be, the miracle in you and I will be, it's humility. 
Because if we're self-protecting, if we're emotionally protecting ourselves, humility is not what we're doing. Vulnerability is the moment where humility is actually, when we realize, okay, I don't need to protect myself anymore. I actually can open up. I can expose the emotional soft tissue to the world. That's when humility is taking place. And he says it right here. He says, for, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, he's saying, this has happened with me. And I, I was arrogant. I thought I was something. And he's saying, look at this. By the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. He said, quit being high on yourself. You ain't that awesome in accordance with the faith God has distributed to you. And he's saying, for one, the gifts he's getting ready to talk about have everything to do with God and very little to do with you. And then verse four, he says, for just as each of us has one body with many members. So he uses this example in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 too, right? Some of us are a hand in the way that God uses us. Some of us are a head. Some of us are the feet. It's just different parts of the body. But what does he say? He says, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. Head, hand, heart, head, right? So in Christ, we, though many, form one body. So the way that the church operates is as one body with many members. Each member belongs, listen to this, each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. I love this. So the first thing that, that we're feeling there in verse three is that gifts are God-given. This was grace that, who apportioned the gifts? God apportioned the gifts. And there's no reason that we should be, you know, beating our chest over our gifts or hoarding our gifts. Like this is the thing that I need now. I have to, I still have to protect myself. So I'm gonna leverage the way that God gifted me so that I can bring self-worth. I'm gonna take my gifting to, to be worthy on planet earth. No, your worthiness comes from the righteousness of Christ that's poured out on you by the cross of Jesus Christ. He's saying, what's happened to you is you no longer have to leverage your gift to protect yourself or to make yourself somebody. He's saying those days are over. This is a miracle that you can give your life as a humble sacrifice. Now, some of you are intrinsically like God, these aren't, I'm not talking about the, the spiritual gifts, like the, the, these are the intrinsic gifts that God gave you at birth. Some of you were working in that gifting before you were ever a believer. Back then you were, you were leveraging them for, for you. But God has changed something in the apostle Paul saying. And, and, and what's changing is, is and I, I think this, the, the, the only way I think about it is NBA basketball. Like the, and, and I don't know how this is ever gonna translate to us because we, we, none of us are gonna play in the NBA. I don't think, I'm looking around. Um, I love, I love in the NBA. Don't get, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm knocking it a little bit, but it's like, you got somebody that's, that's can dunk. It's impressive. But when a seven foot tall guy dunks and everybody cheers, I'm just like, and maybe I'm cynical. I'm just like, he jumped like five inches. It's just not that impressive. And we're like, Aah! make a free throw. That actually would be pr pretty impressive for the seven foot guy, make a free throw. But do you, do you get what I'm saying? He didn't do anything. He was just born. He didn't grunt harder in the womb or anything like that. God made you that way. God created you that way. We don't, we don't, this is not our source of pride. It's our source of praise to God. And it makes us loose handed with the gifts that we have. Like, ooh, I gotta use this. 
in every, like this is the way God made me and I've got to use this at all costs. You may be gifted and never really use that gift the way that you think that you're going to use it because God is infinitely wise and infinitely loving and smarter than you. And the, 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 some of you, like it's, it's, this is what's awesome is in the body of Christ, some people are just smarter than others. I mean, let's just be honest, right? Some people can do with spreadsheets that even the spreadsheet makers didn't even know was even possible, Mike Berry. Um, you, there's just, there's people that are just gifted. There's people that, that can see down the road and are visionaries. And there's people that can, can look at these small details that no, a lot, everybody else would bypass. But if they weren't looking at them, they would ruin a lot of people's lives. And we need, we all, we need all of that working in the church. Individually, we were doing it on our own. And now all of a sudden God's changed everything. And our, he's taken the gifts that we have that we used to shine a light on us with. And now he's, he's placed them on himself. He's, he's made us worshipers. So now we together collectively get to shine a big, bright, beautiful light on Jesus as our, our gifts begin to come together. And that's my second thing. Our gifts aren't just God-given. We have to recognize, just like in Romans chapter one, the apostle Paul said, you had a problem. You had your hands in God's pockets, not around his neck. You didn't recognize where the gifts came from. You didn't recognize everything you're looking at that's beautiful and good that's come down to you. Everything that's good and right about you came from God. He says there was a lack of recognition in our sin. That's my gift. No, it's his and he gave it to you. But now redeemed, we say, how in the world can I make the biggest deal about Jesus with my gift? How can we as a collective shine a big, bright, beautiful light on Jesus? Your gifts not only are God-given and they're God's gifts, but they belong to the whole. Did you hear that in the passage? Like your gifts are not your own. They belong to the whole. You're no longer a solo operator. You know, I saw something today. I don't remember who posted it, but it's talking about in your calling, we should look around less. I feel like people look around like seeing what everybody else is doing. We should look around less. Do it together and look around less. Do you get that? Like what's everybody, how good are they at that? The competitiveness of looking around and you know, hey, who's doing that? I should be doing that. They don't do that that good. In our calling, we should look around less. My gift is no longer the thing that makes me shine. It's what we do collectively. My gift disappears in conjunction with others. Now, here's the beauty and this is the way, this is the miracle of the humility that can happen and what, what happens and can happen for you is that in conjunction with the body, like some of you that you don't even know, like you're like, I'm not even gifted. I'm medium, I'm normal. I don't have anything that's special. I've seen this over and over again as a pastor. In conjunction with the body, you discover your gifts because there's people that love you that truly will speak truth over you. Now, there, there is a problem that exists and this, this can be the, this is why the gospel is so important. Because if, if we're protective of our emotional soft tissue, this will be a problem for us. But people are often drawn to gifts that they really don't have. You know, this is what I wanna do. And nobody's ever spoken truth to them. I mean, and we would love to just keep you from the first two episodes of American Idol. Like somebody should have told them. You know what I'm saying? Y'all know what I'm saying? Like somebody, that's what's crazy about that is somebody had to say, you got it, bro. You are awesome. And they're not like, it's the, I only watched the first two, like the first two episodes, the fun stuff, it's like a train wreck, right? Somebody should have told them like, Hey, math, like they, they should have, somebody should have done that for them. You know what I'm saying? 
but, but my boy, he said, well, I don't want to crush his dreams. Some dreams should die. I'm just saying like, Hey, we should, Hey, you should color, buddy. We should get into coloring. You know what I'm saying? The church can do that for you. You're welcome. I'm kidding, but you know what I'm saying? If we are all of a sudden together as one, what, what happens is in all seriousness is somebody can walk around and think that this is their thing. And somebody else lovingly says, Hey, there's a lot of people doing that one. Number two, you know what you're amazing at? Look at this. You may not have seen this about your, in your insecurity and brokenness, but since the gospel's hitting me and the gospel's hitting you and we're no longer worried about what people think, you're amazing at this, aren't you? Look at this. You, I saw you in the small group. You opened up things in the scriptures that nobody really understood. You said things, you discerned things that only you can do in our small group. We are so sad when you're not there because you, there's an insight that you have that goes beyond theology. It's, it's, a, it's a spiritual discernment for people, the way that you interact with human beings, the way that you treat people, you're gifted. And you would never discover those outside of the body of Christ. And the apostle Paul's saying, this is a miracle of mercy. All of a sudden with the humility that comes with the gospel, standing in awe of who God is and what he's done, no longer having to protect the emotional soft tissue because the gospel has come and covered me with the righteousness of Christ. All of a sudden I can operate in a different way. And in, in, instead of this thing, we think sacrificing for the kingdom of God, we're gonna lose everything. The apostle Paul saying, you're gaining everything. Look what you're getting. You're getting your mind renewed. You're getting a joy that is intangible here on planet earth that you can't imagine. The things that you've been running after, the things that you thought would save you, they'll never save you. Look what you're receiving as you're sacrificing. We were never meant to be the center. We were never meant to be in the middle. We were always meant as a collective to come together and sing together and serve together and sacrifice together for one purpose, to carry the name of Jesus to the ends of the earth and to the people around us. And when it changes you, it is the joy that you will have. Rather than spending your life trying to figure out how to build a tiny little microscopic kingdom that says, yay, Derek. Instead, I get to step into this magnificent, epic story of redemption here on planet earth for human beings. I'd much rather do that. I'd rather be a tiny microscopic character in a story that actually matters. That's what he's created you for. You were created by and for Jesus. And thirdly, full sacrifice. So you've got self-sacrifice, you've got a humble sacrifice, and we've got full sacrifice. I love that he uses this term. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer what? Your bodies. Your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He uses the term bodies for the purpose of saying everything. And this is that uncomfortable thing. Like when we think about everything, what, is it, what does it look like to give everything? And we've already said it today. Does that mean, you know, I gotta, I'm a hundred hours in, in children's ministry. I'm gonna go into a full-time ministry, mission work. I don't know what it means. It, it may be that. Giving your life away, that may be what God calls some of you into. We've been praying for that in our church. So if this is your morning and you're like, hey, I think that's me, God's speaking to me. You should go into full-time missions. But I don't know, it's different for everybody. Jesus comes into the heart. He does it with the rich young ruler and says, hey, if, 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 if it's you, you know what you need to give away? You need to give away all your money because that's the thing that you think will rescue you and save you. But that's, that's not everybody. He's not telling everybody to give away all their cash. 
we need some generous people that know how to manage money, you know, and can distribute it. But if you think about it, what does it look like for you to give everything? I don't know. I'm just gonna stand here and say full sacrifice for you. I don't know, but what I do know is you can find out if you're not giving everything. What is it that you've clamped down on? Because that 16 year old girl in the 1930s, she clamped down on her dreams. What is it that you've, you've pinned in and said, this is my dream, this is the thing that I want. This is the thing that I really don't wanna let anybody speak into. You know what's on short reserve right now in 2020? Is people asking for wise counsel. I'll do it on my own. And God is infinitely wise and infinitely loving and he's given us the church and people don't ask for wise counsel. Some people do. I got some brothers and sisters in here that do and I'm always, I'm bl always blown away. And it's not me they're asking. You're like, you must be the wise counsel. I'm not. I'm like, who'd you ask? I send them to people. But, but, but asking somebody to speak into things that we're sensitive about, that those are the areas that we haven't sacrificed. And that can be your gift. Like for some people, it's like get, let, getting critical reviews on whatever it is, your art, your music or whatever. Like, hey, I wrote a song. Let me send it to 15 people and tell me what you think about it. That is a scary thought if you're wrapped up in yourself and you're worried about how that bolsters your identity. But if you're free, it's, it's, a, it's a freeing thing. What does it look like? Parenting's all, a big thing for people. Like people are very specific about, they think they've got it nailed down, you know? Some people don't admittedly say, I, I have no idea what I'm doing. These little people are driving me crazy and I'm terrible at it. But some people are like, hey, I don't wanna, I'm, I, I will not ask for help for parenting, especially them because look at their kids. Um, you know what I'm saying? All of us, all of us should be able to get to that place open-handed with everything that we are and lay it before Jesus and lay it before other people Oh, I don't trust her. She is gonna, she is just gonna say bad. Lay it there. You don't have, look, the gospel has covered you. you. You don't have this, we should not carry around this emotional soft tissue that makes us these people that has to put a chip on our shoulder where we slice ourselves off in these protective boxes. But we, can, we have the ability to be full, all of our bodies, full sacrifice. And yes, you know what? You can get hurt inside the church. People can hurt you in your city group. People can do damage. Like I, I, I realize that and recognize that. But what's beautiful about the gospel is God is so much bigger than that. He takes feeble and fallen clay. He takes a, a room full of broken people and he, he redeems them for his glorious grace and to carry his message to the world. It is absolutely mind blowing. And on planet earth, not only what is it in your hands? But we have a problem with, in our culture, the pattern of this world is to diversify, right? The way the world thinks is don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't sacrifice all of your goods in one area. Stock market, I mean, it's classic. Like don't put it all here just in case that one goes down, you know? And then we look into the past and we wish we would have put all our money in one place, right? You look at, at the IPO of the original Apple. Like if you would have put just 10 grand in Apple, 10 grand, you're like, that's a lot of money. It's not, that, I mean, y'all spend that on air conditioning, you're Americans, but 10 grand, right? If you knew back then, you would be, be a really smart person to have put just 10 grand in Apple because you'd have $6.7 million. You, you wouldn't have had to make one other investment, $6.7 million. But we right now, because we don't know, what do we do? with our money, with our stuff, with our resources, diversify. I'll put a little bit here, 
I'll invest a little bit here. I'm gonna put it here. I'm gonna keep this for myself. I'm gonna keep this for myself. Put a little bit here. We'll see what kind of return it gets. And what the apostle Paul's saying, he is infinitely wise. He's taking 11 chapters to try to get this into our brain and into our heart and into our soul. To say he's infinitely wise and he's infinitely loving. And he is worthy of pushing all of our chips across the table onto his plate and saying, all I have is yours. All of me full sacrifice. Whatever you want with me, you've got it all. You have everything. Jesus. He's saying, look, he uses the word reasonable. And I'll end here. He uses the, I love this. He says, this would be reasonable. This is a reasonable act of worship. He's saying rationally, if we look at these 11 chapters, the only reasonable thing to do is to give your life to him. It's the only reasonable thing to do. He's trustworthy. Look at Jesus, because Jesus was the self-sacrificing, humble sacrificing, full sacrificing representative for us. He didn't hold on to any, any of his gifts. He left his throne. He was ruling with a scepter of authority. All of planet earth, all of the heavens, everything that's ever been and ever existed, he was ruling and reigning, seated at the right hand of God. He didn't consider all those things. He didn't hold those things and grasp those things. He didn't use those things to protect himself. No, he gave himself away. He came and became nothing, ordinary. Wasn't even like studly, good looking guy. He says, no majesty about him. He was ordinary. He walked a life like you and I walk. And eventually all of his friends had to turn their back on him. His own people turned their back on him. And he was beaten to a bloody pulp for you and for me. Blood poured out, just beaten for you. And then he walked the Via Della Rosa up to Calvary and, and he stretched his arms out and opened his hands as he sacrificed for you and for me. And the apostle Paul says, I'm guessing it's pretty reasonable for us to take our hands off of our life. Jesus took his hands off of his life and he fell into nothingness. Now you can take your hands off of your life and you'll just fall into his. Let's pray. Let's stand together. God, we love you. We know that in our relationship with you, we know that you don't need anything from us, that these, this sacrificial life, this transformational life, these miracles of mercy are just more of your unbelievable off the chart grace that you're extending to us, that we might wake up and see what, what it's like to live this life here on planet earth. As we pine for heaven, we can walk with you in your sacrifice here on earth. God, I pray that you transform our minds away from the pattern of this world and more like yours.